This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. This is going to be fun. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, uh, can I please have your attention? Can you dig it? Ah. Greetings, dear listeners. This is Jonah Goldberg, host of the Remnant Podcast, brought to you by the Dispatch and Dispatch Media. Go to thedispatch.com to uh, check out all the free stuff and um, um, and hopefully, maybe, probably, necessarily become a uh, paid member of the Dispatch community where you can then um, get invitations to all sorts of cool things and um, and comment on on our various wares in our and our robust and spirited comment sections. Um, so, okay, today is going to be a little weird, just so you know. Um, as as Winston Churchill said when his robe accidentally came off um, to FDR, uh, I have nothing to hide from our listeners. Um, uh, we have had technological issues, um, the likes of which usually lead to large sections of Ukraine being radioactive for a thousand years. Um, it's it's been difficult. It's been trying. There's been a lot of yelling. There's been, um, if we were all in person, there'd be a lot of that sort of three stooges, eye gouging kind of stuff. Um, and, um, so everything is sort of cobbled together. Um, uh, we're connecting things with band-aids and chewing gum and, um, everyone's been a little stressed out. And we're also stressed out because we were all saddened by the fact that today is Nick Pompella's last day as my research assistant at the American Enterprise Institute and his, and, and also his role on this podcast as the uh, amenuensis extraordinaire of all things and producer of all things. And so um, we record, we were originally going to do this as sort of an exit interview with Nick, and that's in fact what we did. And Nick was so reluctant to cooperate by telling unpleasant stories about me or being uh, particularly eager to be entertaining in any way, uh, we decided, uh, so we, we kept it. It's in here. And I shouldn't say it's not entertaining. It's, I think it's quite endearing, in fact. Um, but it was so mirandering and we didn't know what we were doing. We were so frazzled by um, the technological issues 
And also just the gore and viscera of all the animals we sacrificed to Baal to get this thing going. It was just the stench and the loan, the flies. It's terrible. So uh, we've had to do some creative audio editing. And now I say we've had to do it. Uh, this is a bit of a distraction or a, a bit of a, a, a miscommunication because A, it hasn't happened yet. I'm recording this now. B, I'm not going to have to do any of it. It's all going to fall on Ryan Brown. And... Um, and C, it may not work. So uh, so we ask your patience or your tolerance if there are some moments that seem a little jangly and strange. Uh, we didn't want to just episode 11 this thing and, 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 and send it to the bottom of the ocean in a footlocker. Um, and don't go looking for it because only part of episode 11 is in the footlocker. We've actually dispersed it across all sorts of places. But um, uh, there may be some weird transitions. We we might be doing things out of order if you play it backward it might say something like i am satan and satan is good um we just don't know i just i can't promise you right now but we're we're trying to deliver on this one and we appreciate that you are are going to indulge us and we are ever thankful to uh nick for all his hard work in the uh time that he's been here and he just flipped me the bird and um um and so anyway let's get started if i'm gonna do this I'll need my news team at my side. News team, assemble! All right, so just at the top, you know, we're at the top here. Wink, wink. Uh, Happy Juneteenth, everybody. Uh, Thank you. Very exciting. Thank you. you know, uh, I have to admit, because I was not on, I had a very crazy busy day yesterday, and we're recording this on Friday morning, um, although it's going well, so long, uh, it may be going into Friday afternoon. Um, uh, so I actually didn't know that like, they were going to vote on it yesterday. I had yeah. um, you know, podcast, then meeting, then meeting, yeah. then I had to write a column really fast, and then I had to drive to friggin' Leesburg to do something for AEI. Um, <laughs> And 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 Nick, there would be lashes if this wasn't your last day. But um, <laughs> so, uh, Ron, you seem to have followed. What what the hell happened? And and yeah. and and, and, and I, I have no huge problem with Juneteenth, but right. uh, being a holiday. But like, what happened? I I am also so I knew the vote was happening. Um, and a few people in in that in the House tried to because it passed the Senate. The House needed to vote on it, and then the, the president was going to sign it. Uh, a few people in the House were holding it up, but ultimately it passed by like a resounding majority. I think there were 14 Republicans that didn't vote for it. And they're your classic, exactly who you didn't think voted for it, didn't vote mm -hmm. for it. Um, and then what I was shocked by, and I guess I shouldn't have been, but I didn't realize it was going to like start today. <laughs> like the Yeah, that's the thing that kind of blew me away. Yeah. Yeah. This president signed it yesterday and I have friends that work in the government and they're like, yeah, we have the day off. Like the government right. is just shut down today. Um, and Juneteenth is actually Saturday, but because it's Saturday, they get Friday off. So I would just like to say, at the dispatch, we do not have the day off. No days off at the dispatch. We are no. dedicated. Yeah, to but, our but craft. before you play the race card, like <laughs> literally, like we were surprised to find out it was a holiday <laughs> this morning. Yeah. Um, so it's a little unfair. But yeah. I, I, maybe no, next kidding. next Juneteenth, yeah, we'll take the day off. No, I was um, I was I was equally as shocked to wake up and be like, oh, people aren't working today. Yeah. Oh, it happened. Right. Yeah. Right. And then, of um, course, you have some people on the right 
Charlie Kirk, Candace Owens, that think it's an absolute outrage that we even have this day. And they're only celebrating July 4th like a true American. Yeah, I saw some of Charlie Kirk's tweets, you know, and I I felt my IQ points melting away <laughs> like spit on a hot griddle. Um, yeah. What I liked was the guy who, uh, I can't remember who it was, um, went back and looked and found that oh, yeah. under Trump, he was all in for making Juneteenth a holiday. Democrats are secret racists for not wanting to do Juneteenth as a holiday. Yeah. And then all of a sudden when Juneteenth is going to be a holiday, this is because they want to get rid of July 4th. Mm-hmm. And um, it's all such... The, that to me is a perfect illustration of the jackassery of, yeah. of, 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 of that, that side of the right where um, they ju- the business model is let's just make people mad. And it doesn't matter if it's true or if we're inconsistent or anything, anything else. I'm in full conspiracy mode. Like I, I'm not. I no longer. If you told me like Democrats were paying these people just to like make the right look worse, I, I think I'd buy that. Like I, at this point, <laughs> yeah. At this point, I'd be like, yeah, that makes more sense than they actually just think this is a good idea or a good. Well, I mean, so, the, the, I mean, for, I do want to hear how about Juneteenth celebrations in the UK in a second, but. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> The the latest hotness about saying January 6th was an inside job. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the the this is a Democratic false flag operation to make Republicans and conservatives look like morons theory um, applies to that, too. I mean, yeah. if you if if I mean, I, I like Tucker's smart. You know, I've known Tucker for going on 30 years, 25 years. Mm-hmm. I have a hard time believing he believes this stuff. And so maybe he's just trying to make people mad, you know, but um, like, I think Charlie Kirk is, is, is not bright. Um, <laughs> you know, I think, I think Louis That's Gohmert, a nice way of putting it. <laughs> yeah. I think Louis Gohmert's an idiot. Right. I think Paul Gosar, um, you know, needs to have the words TGIF written on the, the tips of his jack boots to because it stands for toes going first um but uh but but tucker's smart you know, like he knows things right. and the idea that if you watch that segment that he did where he says it's government documents reveal or you know the government show revealed in documents as if it's like black and white um it's just i mean it, it's it's either incredible you have to be too stupid to be a spell checker at an M&M factory to believe it or <laughs> you're lying. Yeah. Right. I mean, there's, there's no third option here. And, right. um, and I tweeted this morning. It was like, if you believe if you're, because Edgar has a very good piece on the site. Yeah. Explain. It, it makes me mad that we have to run explainers about why this isn't true or this is a very bad theory. Um, um, but we kind of do. And it just it's amazing to me. We have seen sort of in Ron Johnson land, we've gone from this was Antifa and BLM deep undercover making Republicans look bad to these were the salt of the earth, most patriotic tourists you can imagine. Yeah. And they did nothing wrong to now the FBI, Donald Trump's FBI plotted and planned this thing as an inside job because vests have no sleeves. Right. right? I mean, it's just, it's friggin' nuts. Right. 
Right. Well, it's sort of like I think it's it's a weirdly uh, unhealthy warping of a of an instinct in a lot of conservative arguments, right? Which is part of a certain strain of conservatism, right? Is just contrarian to liberalism, and there's actually an advantage to that, and there's a there's a meaningful history of that being applied in really interesting ways. But I think the problem is that most of the people who are just taking a contrary argument because Democrats in Congress believe it. I don't know. That just strikes me as you need to be you need to have smarter people to make those sorts of arguments that are just contrarian for the sake of being contrarian. And like, I don't know, the people who write on Tucker's show, I don't know that they're smart enough to pull that off. And if they're not smart enough to pull it off, Charlie Kirk definitely isn't smart enough to pull it off. Candace Owens certainly isn't smart enough to pull it off. I mean, it, it's it's a little odd, right? Yeah. So I mean, but I, I think you know, as, as I tweeted this morning, if you're peddling this theory, you're either the grifter or you're the mark, right? right. Either mm-hmm. you you know yeah. it's a lie and you're being a con man selling it, or you're the dupe. And right. one of the points that you know a lot of people made in the early days about Trump was. One of the things that makes con men successful is the fact that a lot of people want to be conned. You've got to want to believe you have to bring demand to the table. It's not just supply. If we need a monorail, Jonah, (laughs) that's right. You know, (laughs) like you can be a great monorail salesman. But if you aren't the kind of people who want a monorail, um, it's the it's salesmanship is just not going to get you over the top. I'm sorry. It's more of a Shelbyville idea. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so, like, it's so obvious that the cognitive dissonance caused by our team doing something so hateful and disgusting as the assault on the Capitol that they got to kind of Sololinsky it and yeah. Mm-hmm. Turn it from being a vice into a virtue. They got to turn it into uh, this thing. I mean, that, this is why, like, the initial response to it is, you know, oh yeah, but what about BLM riots, right? It, right. They've got to turn it into a talking point for for our quote unquote our side. And um, the problem again is like, I get that instinct, but pick a freaking lane if you're going to make right. up that it's. Antifa, fine. It's Antifa. If you're going to lie and say it's in gaslight and say they were tourists, stick with it. But when you keep switching from one to another, um, it it makes you look like a jackass. But the point, of, my point is, is that anybody with any skepticism or knowledge who watched that Tucker segment understood it was BS. It was only the people yeah. who wanted it to be true, right? Who and that's you know that's the advantage he's got is that you know. You know, it's sort of like with rock. There's some rock stars or music stars that are so beloved by their fans, they can start to really be bad, and the audience doesn't care because they just yeah. love them so much, kind of thing. And the demand from at, the audience. I I am one of the Bruce Springsteen fans that he can do no wrong. I yeah. was at a show in Cleveland. He comes on stage. He goes, "Hello, Pittsburgh." <laughs> 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 and, and then and then realizes he made a mistake and goes in Cleveland too. Crowd went crazy. I mean, no, no one cared. No one cared. We're like, it's okay, Bruce. Just keep on rocking. It's, it's kind of like the, the when Spinal Tap was on Simpsons and yeah. Uh, yeah. What, what's the lead singer, the Michael McKean guy, Spinal Tap. Anyway, uh, 
he has it written on the back of his uh you know guitar his notes about what to say in <laughs> springfield and you know yeah. it's like <laughs> yeah. um i was driving down i290 today <laughs> oh, <laughs> and he's like let's show them how they you know Let's right. show them how they rock in Springfield, not like in Shelbyville. You know, <laughs> <laughs> and that's right. innocent. That's innocent cult of personality. But this, when it gets into our politics, it just becomes so deadly dangerous. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it just. I mean, like, um, it is amazing. I mean, like, I, I, like, I have more sympathy in a weird way for nine eleven truthers because, like. 9-11 truthers their their theory was um this was their, their problem was that this was such a terrible thing to contemplate that it it that we must have domestic enemies who are you know here doing it uh and they did it almost instantaneously they came to that conclusion right i mean so this was like in yeah. the moment it, it refried their brains it imprinted this idea in them and then they created a retroactive permission structure of, of recreating this pretextual thing about, you know, controlled demolition and yada, 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 yada. These guys are throwing darts just at the wall, trying to come up with something. And like, there's something profoundly unpatriotic that says, okay, well, um, the Antifa thing didn't stick. The, peaceful demonstrator the peaceful uh tourists thing didn't stick uh, blaming on the media didn't stick yeah. uh so let's just say that our national chief law enforcement agency is profoundly evil and corrupt and was willing to stage this thing that i know five minutes ago we said wasn't that bad and was actually just a peaceful democratic protest, but now it's really evil because the FBI staged it. Right, right. Um, right. It's just it's so grasping at straws and creepy and weird, and you know, it's I, like if if there's one thing you can say about most of the 9/11 truthers, it's that they were not Machiavellian about it. Like they were not taking this position strategically. Yeah, it was not a career a, boost for those guys <laughs> to all of a sudden, <laughs> you know, do that kind of stuff. Gordon uh, Ball right. was really better off though after he wrote that essay about how 9/11 was an inside job. I, who who was true? Gordon Ball. Oh yeah. No. <laughs> who you can't talk about anyway because of the rules inherited from NR, so that's fine. That's right, there's a certain amount of omerta about, about yeah. these things. <laughs> I did have a tangential question about the NR stuff. When NRO was being set up and you were creating the blogs and everything, was Bill particularly involved with any of that, that or had he just completely withdrawn by that point? Oh, no, in the beginning, he uh, Bill, for, for listeners, is William F. Buckley. Um... Oh, we call him Bill. Uh, I do, Ryan. He and Guy on our first name basis. <laughs> yeah, um, all right. So, no, in the so I, I came on board. De facto came on board. I mean, it's complicated. Um, as a contributing editor, at the very least, in '98, and Bill Buckley was still coming into the office semi regularly. Um, I mean, I wasn't in New York, but like when I would go, up to, I would go up to New York quite a bit, and he would um you'd see him in the office he would still have i guess my first five or six years he would have um he would still have his editorial dinner every two weeks when they put the magazine to bed they would then go to 
is, as James Rosen loved to say, Maisonette um, on Park Avenue, which was like this little weird, it was a fascinating apartment. It was a um, sort of mini mansion townhouse sort of built into an apartment building. It was kind of complicated to explain. But as someone who grew up in New York City, it was a really cool apartment. And it had a very strange decor um, in that it was... Um, you could tell sort of that some of it was frozen in amber from the wild swingy days of the 1970s or whatever. So, but, and then there are other parts that were, I'm not saying they were swingers. I'm just saying it was weird. You know, there's I, one of the things I loved. you guys are all too young to remember when these were things. Um, but you've probably seen in diners, maybe uh, a toothpick dispenser where it's, mm-hmm a jar with a tin top and you pull the little tab in the center and they kind of come up and flower out in different ways. He oh, wow. had those with cigarette dispensers, which used to be thing. Uh, oh, wow. And they would be on like every table and you could just pull up one and grab a cigarette, you know, and, you know, um, wow. and, um, and I remember, I mean, I've mentioned this on the podcast before. I was so terrified when I went to my first editorial dinners because I am, um, it was William F. Friggin Buckley, you know, and um, you know, the, I, I should say the F stands for friggin. And um, uh, and he uh, I thought it was going to be, you know, Latin puns and Chesterton quotes all day long. And yeah, the reality is, is that. And there's I, mean, I guess this is sort of a substantive thing to talk about. Um, I've, and I, I've, I know I've said this on the podcast before, but like, so first of all, Good manners are not necessarily knowing what fork to use or like, you know, um, um, you know, how to tie the right kind of knot on a tie, you know, that, that yeah, kind of stuff. Right. It's manners properly understood are those customs and norms and habits that you employ to make fe- people feel respected. Right? Mm-hmm. If you think about how manners work in lots of different cultures, if you are rude, the, the reason that's bad is because you're disrespecting somebody. Mm-hmm. And um going by that standard bill buckley probably had the best manners of anybody i've ever met in my entire life hmm. when he talked to you you were the only friggin person in the world yeah and he he was this i mean some of it may have been something of an act because he was a bit of a politician in a sense an intellectual politician but even if it was 50% in act, it was still 50% more impressive than almost anybody knew. It was like, he just, he just, yeah, so what? <laughs> fo- he focused on you and, um, and really listened. And, um, and he showed people respect in ways that, you know, was really kind of astounding. And there are so many stories about, I mean, what, this is one of the things that's so hard to explain to people about a lot of these guys, some of whom were like real heroes of mine, you know, like Irving Crystal and, and Bill and, and, and some of these other ones is that so much of the stuff that they actually did to build the conservative movement or neoconservatism really has to do with behind the scenes human interactions mm-hmm. where through force of personality, they, he, these people got these cantankerous, weird, idiosyncratic oddballs to sort of cooperate together. And, if you read any of the histories of the founding of NR, that's a big part of what Bill is doing is like, he's try- he's somehow trying to get like James Burnham and, and Russell Kirk to play nice. And that's right. hard because they're 
weird dudes. And, and we're not even talking about like Wilmore Kendall or any of those people. And so, um, um, and if you read between the lines of some of the early stuff about the, the formation of the conservative movement, some of it, you can just feel like it's, it's not really the ideas that are driving it. It's just sort of like Bill's exasperation with the Aspergery weirdness of some of these people. Um, and I don't <laughs> mean to cast aspersions on people with Aspergers or anything, right. but like, like media matters are going to infer that Jonah and take that yeah. clip out of context. Um, uh, given what, it's going on in more mainstream conservative media these days. Media Matters has its hands full. Um, <laughs> but, um, like, you know, the famous line that Buckley had about Harry Jaffa. Um, if you, something, it's something along the lines of, if you think it's hard disagreeing with them, try agreeing with them. Right. right? Hmm. Harry Jaffa was just a pain in the ass. You know, I mean, he was a brilliant guy and he was right about all sorts of things, but he was just a huge pain in the ass. Same thing with Ayn Rand and same thing with, you know, um, oh, what's his name? The crazy libertarian. Um, Rothbard? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Rothbard was just a weird dude. You know, um, this guy who's sort of maximal human freedom was afraid of elevators, you know, that kind of stuff. And, <laughs> um, uh, and so anyway, like the, the, the stuff about Buckley that people, I'm not saying that this is the primary explanation for how some people lost their minds or anything like that, but like part of the theory why people like Sobrun, um, Brimelo, you know, some of these people uh, went crazier over time is that when Bill was your friend, um, and I'm not saying I was never like, a, 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 like he was never a mentor of mine in that sense. Mm -hmm. We had some uh, quite a few meals with him, quite a few conversations with him. His wife liked me, which was a major social cultural mm -hmm. coup, because if she didn't like you, you have problems. Um, and, uh, um, but, and that, but like when, if you are truly his, like his apprentice as it were. Right. And he focused on you. I remember, I remember one person we've all heard of who had worked at NR, you know, used this expression with me. He was like, it was like the sun shining on you. And then, you know, when the sun goes away, it's no fault of the sun. It's just, that's what suns do. <laughs> it, uh, it feels so cold. Hmm. And wow. the darkness of the shadow makes it feel so. And so some of these guys, I think, felt betrayed just because Bill had moved on. Like he, he brought you this far and then, you know, you're on your own fly, you know, on your own, yeah. you know, and spread your wings kind of thing. And some people just had real problems with it and um um but you know so anyway to answer your question yeah bill was around his policy about the about nr when rich took over i mean remember o'sullivan had been the editor for about eight years right. prior to rich and the, the the anointment of rich was a little jangly if i remember correctly i mean i wasn't at nr when that happened i came on board about a year after Rich became editor. Um, uh, but um, my recollection is that Bill almost never futzed with the magazine while it was being put together. Mm. Um, what he did was he wrote memos afterwards about what he thought about the issue, which I think is a really, was a really smart way of doing it. Because on the one hand, you're still having your input about the general editorial direction 
but you are not undermining the editor in real time. And I think that was a really smart way of doing it. Hmm. And, um, and every now and then he would just call rich and be like, okay, I, I, I want the cover next for the next issue. Cause I'm writing something. And rich would right. say, okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> and, uh, um, but he had a real light touch. I mean, he was, I mean, he was a truly charming guy. Um, and, uh, um, you know, there's really sort of a, there's a real feeling of in, in our world of were, are, were you, you know, before Buckley or after Buckley and, um, mm. meaning his death. And, um, one of the things I'm really grateful for is I got to be there long enough or early enough to spend some quality time with the guy. Again, nothing like Rich did, not even like Ross Douthat. I mean, Ross was one of the guys who was, um, invited to do the skinny dipping off his boat thing which, um, <laughs> i never did um wow. uh so anyway there we go huh. nick nick do you feel like when you'll no longer be working with jonah you'll feel the cold dark shadow of no longer being <laughs> in the sun <laughs> well it's difficult to tell because it's been so cold already <laughs> uh, i can't imagine it getting any colder i, I so i think so nick what, what are you gonna do what, are, what exactly are you going to do i mean i know i said you were a sewer spelunker but that we all know that's like your hobby so I'm like, right. what's, yeah what's, that's i was doing that in dc um <laughs> um sewers in dc are much steamier um no the um i'm place. i'm gonna be a I'm going to be within um, one of the one of the colleges at, at Purdue University. So Hale Mitch, um, and uh, I'm going to be working with kind of like kind of a think tank unit in there called the Military Family Research Institute. They basically um, try to uh, connect uh, veterans with um, some of their VA benefits to try to make the VA less terrible, stuff like that. Um, help them with things like if they live in super rural areas, you know, a lot of these people live, and this is, this is a nationwide thing. They have a bunch of nationwide programs for this. You know, if, if, you know, you're a veteran and you live 90 minutes away from a place that has food or something like that, you know, and, and there's no one to even check in on you. This can be a huge, you know, mm-hmm. um, uh, a problem for a lot of these families with, with, with veterans in them and stuff like that. Um, and then they also have basically a research division. So they basically look at, um, what percentage of these people who are coming back end up homeless and how could we how could we help to fix that and stuff like that and basically you know they needed a writer and an editor um, and it sounds like that person's kind of a one-stop shop kind of person so they needed someone who they knew could write and could write relatively quickly and who could edit their own work in real time and could also work with events people and stuff like that and so there's a lot of the stuff that I had to do at AI that like already kind of pointed me in that direction. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. yeah, I mean, everyone there, it sounds like they can, every, everyone could go to sleep at night feeling like they did some pretty good work and stuff like that. Um, the research side of it's actually really interesting. That was their like, um, their like writing assignment for me that they had me do to make sure I wasn't just lying about the fact that I could write is like digest this 30 page report and make it into a readable thing and stuff like that. And, mm-hmm. and the, the research that they do is super valuable. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, uh, just, just hail Mitch is all I have to say. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, uh, well, no, no, that sounds, that sounds great. And, um, you know, you should always, you know, pitch the dispatch of the pieces that you want to write, you know, yeah, just right. make sure you ask Rachel cause I'm not available to you anymore. So <laughs> my, my <laughs> erotic Bigfoot, uh, fan fiction is, Available for publishing? Um, <laughs> maybe when we expand the culture section. 
Yeah. Talk to Alec Dent. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, um, and, uh, gosh, what we're going to, oh, just to, again, as I always, the, 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 the complaints from reader or from listeners that hurt me the most is when people say there was no substance on this thing. Um, <laughs> uh, for the record, we should get rid of the, the VA. Um, and, uh, we there should give go. all of those institutions back to the States. Right. And even if it costs us more money, even if it comes with some giant block grant, uh, we should give the physical infrastructure to the states and we should give the money that the excess money that we spend on it, turn it into cash vouchers and give it to vets and let them yeah. spend it in those institutions at the state level. Just Isn't that kind of one of the more amazing modern stories is the fact that that scandal broke. I can't even remember what year that really was about the fact that they had, you know, decades of paperwork and stuff right. like that just sitting you know, unprocessed and stuff like that. And they openly and, fired whistleblowers of every. Yeah. Show. Yeah. I mean, there's like <laughs> right. no hiding it. It was like, yeah, you ratted this out. Now you are going to clear roadkill for the rest right. of your life. I mean, yeah. it was just like that kind of stuff. Right. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the fact that that just sort of dissipated, it yeah, just sort of vaporized. Happened. Yeah. It's just kind of amazing. I don't know. Yeah. Very strange. Um, um, but no, that's to me, that's always been one of the best, you know, as you know, I'm a broken record on federalism crap, but um, um, one of the reasons why that VA thing played out the way it did is it allowed 435 members of Congress to be outraged, right? And it was right. like, something must happen, you know, and people, heads should roll, and everybody at the VA got to say, heads should roll, and nobody was friggin' held accountable. And so right, if yeah. you could send things down to the more local level, um, make the people close to home have you know make the powers that be have faces and names and uh, there's no right. reason why we have every reason in the world why we should take care of vets we have there's no reason in the world why it should be done out of washington right yeah why stop there what other departments would you rid of john well am i czar am i yeah. am i <laughs> yep. okay don't don't have like your rick perry czar. moment here yeah. <laughs> let's see um um, in no particular order, uh, we don't get rid of the Department of Energy. We stop calling it the friggin' Department of Energy, and we call it the Department of Taking Care of Big Piles of Nuclear Stuff, mm, uh, yeah. because that's what like ninety five percent of the Department of Energy is. You know, I mean, it's like, okay. that was what was so funny about making Rick Perry Texas Oilman you know, Energy Secretary is like what <laughs> in Rick Perry's past prepared him to be able to store U-232 uranium <laughs> or whatever. I mean, yeah. Um, um, and, uh, but no, I think absolutely get rid of Department of Education. Just, just soup Figure. to nuts. I don't even think about it. Don't send it back to the States. Disperse those people like refugees after the partition of India and Pakistan and let them figure out what to do with their lives. <laughs> um, if, if, like I'm sure some of them are very nice people and they've got families sure. and all that kind of stuff. So give them a nice severance. But <laughs> like, I think the education establishment mafia is one of the most pernicious things in American life. I have this deep seated theory that I keep trying to figure out how to articulate that part of our law. It's a very Ross Daffod point is that I try to talk about this on glop and Rob and John looked at me crazy. Uh, we have such a surplus of, for one of a better word, intellectuals that they are, um, they are 
in the, and since they don't know anything about how to, they're smart people who don't know how to do anything in the physical world. So they are applying all of their energy to changing all of our metaphors and freaking mm. up ways. And so you got like, you know, like, like if we had jetpacks, people wouldn't be arguing about 56, 56 different kinds of genders. That's what I'm trying to say. So anyway, we don't have to get deep in the weeds on all of that. Um, but get rid of the Department of Education. If you want to keep the spending by spending on stuff, create a whole yeah. bunch of vocational programs, you know, that kind of stuff. Right. But give block granted to states to do it. Uh, let's just go through the the, the, the the cabinet. I guess you have to have some version of the, of HHS just because that's the thing that writes the checks for like all of these health subsidies so if we're mm. not getting rid of medicare and medicaid in some clever fashion you have to have hhs around because they're the ones that handle the paperwork um but obviously i would like to radically reform healthcare. but that's that's a tougher nut to crack um defense department they can stay um okay. gotta gotta go back to calling it the department of war though um mm. and um and i want the secretary of defense to be secretary of war um Right. Uh, Why did I change that? Or of ass kicking. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I, I'm open to these kinds of things. Or we could just call him Mars's disciple on Earth, um, which would be kind of cool. Yeah. Uh, Lloyd Austin, uh, Mars's disciple on Earth. I like that. Uh, the, the Department of Interior, I think we should give a lot of this land. I, I'm, a, I'm a bit of squish on this, and I thankfully my wife does not no longer listen to this podcast. Uh, but uh, <laughs> we chased her away. I love it. <laughs> like you talk to an Alaskan, and they get really pissed off because you know Alaska is like as big as almost like Western Europe or whatever. You know, it's very right. large. And um, I, I encourage listeners who are interested in state parks go look up Wrangell St. Elias Park in Alaska. You never heard of it? Odds are. And Wrangell St. Elias Park is the largest national park in America. And it hmm. is larger than the next seven national parks combined. Whoa. Wow. So like Yellowstone, yeah. you know, you know, uh, wow. Denali, you put them all in there. I mean, it's it's like <laughs> larger than Switzerland. There's just one wow. national park. And uh, but anyway, Alaska, if it's either federal, which is the biggest one, federal, state or tribal land is like covers like 98.5 percent of alaska yeah. and people don't own their own nevada is like 55 percent owned by the federal government that kind of stuff uh i think that deserves a lot of reform but i'm mm -hmm. i'm still kind of squishy i like national parks and i like right. um i like wilderness areas yeah. um i have not voiced any uh i i don't want to beat up anybody about our piece on uh anwar and the dispatch but i thought it i wish i'd seen it before it gone out but as a general proposition, I like Anwar. Um, I just think developing oil there is not the boogeyman that people think it is. And because um, I've been up there. Mm -hmm. <sighs> I don't know. What else? I mean, what other cabinet agencies? I mean, we got, we have, I have a list now in front of me. Housing and urban development. Yeah, they're gone. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. I mean, no, I mean, seriously, just, I mean, like, again, yeah. just, just disperse them into the wind. Um, I, I, again, if you want to figure out a way to spend money on fixing zoning stuff or, or helping poor people get vouchers for stuff, fine. But like, right. So like five guys can hang back and like work at HUD. But have you ever been to HUD? Like physically in the offices at HUD? No. It's like a Coen Brothers movie or like, no, a, a Terry Gilliam movie. Like you ever see Brazil? 
Oh yeah, it is. You just it's it, it's almost as bad as the UN. Like when you're at the UN under those uh, fluorescent tube lights, you literally feel your vitamin D and your soul being sucked out. Of it. <laughs> it is just an awful, awful place, and um, um, uh, it's basically like the management office for the warehouse where the Ark of the Covenant goes. It is just bureaucracy oh horror. God. Um, so yeah, they can go. Where else? What else? Yeah, I'll just go in order and up state. Yeah, I gotta have state. It's in the uh, Constitution. Yeah. yeah, Treasury. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, Attorney General doesn't mean they can't be trimmed down. Right. Right. It doesn't mean they can't do less. Right. Have less do power. do do more with less, and actually do less with less. But yeah, the Treasury <laughs> has to stay. Um, uh, Attorney, General. Attorney General in the Constitution gotta stay. Yeah. They do important stuff. Okay. Ag, agriculture. I'd be fine be with one. it. Yeah, I mean. Hmm. Why do you I hate don't farmers, like, Jonah? I don't like ag subsidies. Um, uh, I am willing to tolerate some of the sort of nativist, paleo, American heartland, agrarian, poet stuff enough that we won't get rid of the Department of Agriculture entirely. Yeah. Um, and we can... We can talk about ways to improve exports and and minimize subsidies, but the entire division of the Department of Agriculture that deals with ethanol, um, we're going to make that into a volleyball court. Um, <laughs> they get, they softball diamond. Let's make it a softball. Softball diamond. diamond. Yeah, they get. Yeah. yeah, we'll have our there own home stadium. <laughs> the dispatch. Uh, okay, commerce gone. Just gone. gone. Just gone. Gone. Because it's it's. I mean, basically, I, I will give Tim Carney a flamethrower and uh, <laughs> axe and just let him tear the place. Just let him go. Apart. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, labor gone. Figured. Figured <laughs> did. Uh, I think. Oh yeah. So uh, transportation. Mayor Pete. The new. The, I the guess I, you know I'm going to be a little bit of a squish on this. It can stay. It just has to do less with less. Gotcha. Um, you know, we have an interstate highway system. You know, we got, yeah. you know, I mean, Pretty good. some of the stuff at uh, ag can go in there, you know, but yeah, it, 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 or commerce, you know, because the interstate right. commerce, blah, but yeah, it's, it's, it can, it can hang around just smaller. Yeah. All right. We've done have enough people to field a softball team. Right. <laughs> yes, exactly. Nine. Actually, I think it's 10, actually. Uh, energy education, we did VA, Homeland Security. Gone. 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 So I, I, fun story. So uh, back when you guys were um, um, in grade school, I was uh, in Washington for the whole creation of DHS. Yeah. And my wife was working for the attorney general's office. My wife was Ashcroft's chief speechwriter and senior policy advisor or something like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, the funny thing is, is that DHS was a disaster from the beginning. The whole point of it was that it was supposed to be this agency that coordinated um, Intel, but the FBI was like, screw you, we're not getting rid of our domestic Intel stuff and we yeah. have more power on the Hill. So instead what DHS became was, um, do you remember, are you guys old enough to remember the, the life cereal commercials with Mikey? Give it to Mikey, he'll Kinda, eat it, yeah. he'll eat anything, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. It was basically like every agency that was remotely relevant that had a pain in the ass department got to say you take this crap off our hands and mm. so like everyone everyone was covering 
the the DOJ about how oh this is such a blow to Ashcroft and the DOJ that they lost um, the Immigration and Naturalization Service, which is now yeah. ICE, yeah. and those guys were like, "Bye bye, don't forget to write, yeah. see ya." You know, but they were so glad to be done with that thing because it is such a political you know uh, yeah. nightmare. Um, and I always back at the time, NR was against it. You know, I mean, this is one of these things people used to call us like craven apologists for for Bush, but we editorialized against DHS. Hmm. Um, it was a major. Exp- I mean, George W. Bush expanded the government in all sorts of ways. Yeah. Um, and uh, my argument at the time was, if we need to have the sort of a militarization of of internal transportation checkpoints and that kind of stuff at, at airports and whatnot, let's just give it to the Coast Guard. You know, let them build, mm. beef it up. They've already got a, a certain esprit de corps. They've got procedures and rules and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Um, instead, we'd had to create this vast new bureaucracy where, as you know, when you go to airports now, it's some dude with a neck tattoo um, <laughs> right. who's got a power trip. And um, and incredibly inefficient, right? I mean, they've and terrible. Yeah. study after study. It's like, this just doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're great about making, you know, grandmothers take off their shoes and letting... Right plastic decoy stacks of dynamite go right through the metal detector. Um, yeah, right. So, exactly. They go. Did you, gone. did you know, uh, so Admiral William McRaven, who wrote it, who has a great book, and he's actually a really interesting person. We have him to blame for the shoe thing. And he wrote in his book, he was like, right after 9-11, he was like, or no, it was the guy that tried to sneak a bomb in his shoe. He was like, well, we should have everybody take off their shoes for a little bit. He had no intention of it being like a thing that lasted forever. Yeah. But um like, I don't think it's going anywhere. Like, I think we're still going to keep taking our shoes off for forever. That's sort of like, you know, Milton Freeman came up with the temporary program about withholding taxes from your paycheck to help right. pay for, raise revenue for World War II. And mm. we still have it. And he right. never had a sense of humor about it because, like, he really? was, like, not proud of that. And yeah. um, Well, that was the origin of his line, right? There's nothing so permanent as a temporary government program. I think that was, so, I yeah. think in reference to that. Yeah, I think, I think so. But, like, my understanding sense. is, like, when people wanted to give him a hard time at dinner, they would bring that up and he just did not have a sense of dinner. About <laughs> oh, it. And, um, Yikes. uh, so f- true story when during that transition, when everybody was freaking out about a train, about plane travel in the States, mm-hmm. whatever. Um, I did a piece for NR where rich basically was like, why don't you just fly around and write about what it's like? And so oh, I literally oh. got this, I had this itinerary, of going nowhere like literally right. i i like i flew to charlotte i connected to indianapolis i flew from indianapolis to like atlanta I flew from atlanta to like maine and then i came home like yeah. it was terrible and <laughs> um, i i actually can i do a follow-up for the dispatch because i love flying i just love being in airports actually Okay, well, I don't know we'll why. Talk, I just love it. We'll talk about it. But uh, <laughs> just just to let the audience know, there was no irony on Brian's face when he said, that. "Yeah, no, no, I'm serious. <laughs> I, I love air travel." <laughs> so, like, um, they used to, when they were still figuring out this is before the shoe stuff, because I think this was like literally before the shoe bomber. It was like mm-hmm. right when they reopened the airlines, kind of stuff. Uh, they used to ask you um, all the time. You guys might remember this. Um, have you had your bag with you the entire time? Did you pack it yourself? Did you ever leave it unattended? Mm-hmm. And because I wasn't getting enough color right. from them, like confiscating yeah. my, you know, my collectible spoons or whatever yeah. that I was putting <laughs> in my luggage to see if they'd find it, my nail clippers. I was on this line to check in 
at the ticket desk and it was like an hour long line but we're like i got no place else to be so like i got on the line yeah. and wait, wait. i finally get up to the, the 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 ticket agent and she's like have you had your bag with you the entire time and or she, did you pack it yourself yes have you had it with you your entire time i was like well actually you know um <laughs> i was at this you know johnny rockets and um I can't, and I had lunch and I left it there and I left it there for about an hour and a half and I had to go back and get it. And I, I, I haven't looked, you know, and I, and I, so it was unattended and she's like, well, have you inspected? It's like, no, I, I haven't, I haven't really had a chance yet. And she looked at me <laughs> like I was a human hemorrhoid ruining her day. Right. <laughs> and she looks down the line and they're like 75 you know like 100 people waiting behind me she looks at me and she's like seriously you can't just lie to me you're like, you're like, <laughs> like you know, and she said that was, she actually said no that? but it was like so obvious oh okay she yeah, was like okay. she was like but yeah <sighs> seriously you didn't have you know you, you, you really think something happened to it and i was like I, I don't know but you guys want you know you and she was like <sighs> seriously like you <sighs> And she was like, just go, just go. Here's your ticket. Go. You know, it was that kind of thing. Yeah. And um, uh, wasn't a great piece, but like the memory <laughs> stuck with me. And um, right. <laughs> anyway, the whole point of the article was basically like no one knew what they were doing. It was just aroused that, you know, like in the old days, cops, like if, if someone punched a cop or if someone, you know, if someone did something that pissed off the cops as sort of a tribal way. The cops would just go and arrest everybody for something. They would shake everybody down. They'd throw away all their weed, you know, whatever. They would do sort of like, you know, give us, give up the name of this guy or we're just going to make your life hell kind of thing. And that's how the airline industry right after 9-11 behaved. It was just sort of like, we don't know what we're doing, but we'll just make it so unbelievably chaotic and unpredictable that the terrorists won't know either. And um, <laughs> I can kind of see it, but whatever. Yeah, all right. right. Um <laughs> Uh, that, is, we, that, that is all the departments. We we have now reshaped the executive branch of government. So props to us. Um, would that someone would give me this power? Um, <laughs> I gosh, I would. If I only, would, I would, I would, I would rule harshly but fairly. So Nick, how are you feeling on this your last day at AAI? Yeah, fine. <laughs> Uh, I mean, the, tr the truth of the matter is, I, I said this, I think, on my first day, and um, I'll say it again, which is that I... Are you, you going to finish eating that? I mean, that's the, what I remember <laughs> saying on the first day. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. Yeah. I started to look that way over COVID. Um, no, um, I, I, I feel like I have imposter syndrome because I, I, I was in the follow-up position to Jack Butler, and the truth is I'm, I'm kind of vaguely uncomfortable and allergic to the notion of of um, doing this as a as a final day thing because then it sets up a tradition that this happens for the RA when the truth is that I think Jack was, if you were like me and you were listening from the beginning, you know that I am no Jack Butler and I, ha I came to the table with many fewer Dune facts. Um, I did not come with a controversial defense of the ending of Lost or anything like that. 
Um, and that was something that only he could he could voice with authenticity. He he could speak his truth is what I'm saying. So I'm going to misdirect completely and just ask one Ryan Brown, tell us about the glories of the dispatch softball team. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was kind wow. of lame. I got to hold on, Ryan. We're going to get to that. Oh, well, that's yeah, important stuff. Me. But I'll, just hold on a second. Yeah, we're not. I'm not. You can't just skip to softball, which we, I'm very excited to talk about. I, but I'm yeah, trying to skip to softball. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, just to correct the record, because there's like, uh, you know, love Jack. Jack's a good guy. Jack's <laughs> an odd duck. Um, I sense a butt coming. <laughs> well, I mean, to paraphrase Bismarck, no valet is a hero to his master. Um, and uh, uh, no, but like, like, Part of the 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 cult of Jack, and there is definitely a cult of Jack out there. It is yeah. it is weird, um, as one would expect of Jack, um, uh, and, and I'm not telling anything truly out of school because I on his last day at AI, like if you were at AI, we'd have a little party for you. We'd all have a drink. We'd say goodbye. That's what we do mm-hmm. at AI when people leave. But uh, right, um, but that requires you physically being there. It also requires you having made. F- friends in the physical meat space uh, <laughs> right. who would want to attend such a party. And I, I just, sure. you know, that's probably been difficult since no one's been in the office, but right. Uh, Jack's a, uh, Jack's a odd, as my father would say, he's a peculiar duck. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, and we didn't know what we were doing when we started the remnant. And so his peculiar duckishness acquired a cult following Mm-hmm. And we've just kicked the tires more on this stuff. But I have no problem for all eternity having the RA come on and doing sort of an exit interview kind of thing. That that, that does not bother me in the slightest. And um, and um, I will say you have there are attributes to you that are superior to Jack Butler's. Um, first of all, you do not make me feel guilty about my own physical condition. Uh, <laughs> just by my very appearance myself I, yeah no i mean like every day at the end of work almost every day at the end of work he would go run like nine miles right or something and then come back to the office and finish stuff that he was working on i was like that's just that's just wrong man but um <laughs> it's unnatural um have you had a good time yeah i mean i mean the the amazing thing about this has been um, I kind of didn't realize it when I joined, but yeah, the dispatch was really a baby. Like it was, you know, we had a, we had like a little get together a little while ago and, and pretty much everyone involved in the, in the process of the day-to-day operations of the site was there. And even then kind of not realizing like the, the, the pillars and the foundation people it's it's not that many, mm-hmm. and it was even smaller a year and a half ago. That was much smaller. And, yeah. yeah, and that's pretty kind of amazing, actually, to see that it's sort of like there's this kind of steady growth pattern over time, and that's been incredibly satisfying to see. It would be it would have been probably more evident to me as it went on if we were physically there in person. But as as I think I told you, I think if I was in any other job, particularly in D.C., which um, obverse to Jack Butler, I have grown to despise in many ways. If I was in any other job throughout the pandemic, I think I would have lost my mind. But the fact that I felt like I kind of was working towards something that I thought was actually doing real good um, kept me very much, much more sane than I would have been otherwise. So. Nick, how did you even end up with this job? I've, I've never gotten your That's origin a- story. That's a great question. Um, <laughs> still, still piecing that one together myself. I well, I I interned at AI 
um, in like, I guess I started like September 2019 or something. And I was working okay. with um, Jimmy uh, P, right? Jimmy P, James Pethokoukas, um, who uh, was like extremely helpful for getting my editing chops back up mm. to snuff after having a little bit of time off where I was writing more than anything like that. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, I think as I, I think as I, uh, have continuously told people, and I mean it somewhat seriously, I think I just sort of bullied my way into the job. I think I just sort of, I saw that the position was online yeah. and then I just never stopped asking people about it. And I just said, hey, look, I know how to edit. You wouldn't even really need to train me. I kind of know what I'm doing. Give me the yeah. job. Give me the job. Please give me the job. <laughs> and then I just kept bothering people. But yeah, I, I, I was like... I think that's a direct quote from our interview. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I was a reporter in like super southern Maryland, like in some of these mm. communities right near the Chesapeake Bay for, you know, about a year or something like that. Um, and then I was in uh, I was in college pretending I knew what I was doing because I, I was an English major and none of them ever know what they're doing. So I mean, it's a very boring story, to be honest. No, that's true. It is. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, Rick, I, they, I was riveted. I don't know what yeah, that was. was yeah. 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 All five of you who are left are really. Yeah. A lot of DC origin stories, though, I do feel like the person thinking, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm just going to keep asking for this one thing until I get it. Right. And then you get it. And then you're and then you're doing the dang thing. As they say. Right. And you're, like, you're, and you're terrified the entire time. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. 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 Um. All right. So, last exit question, please. Um, um, at that get together that you referenced the other night, mm-hmm. uh, I finally you finally got to ask me, um, what I never actually explicitly will talk about on the podcast, and I won't now either, just because I still think it's it's inappropriate. All these episode eleven. No, no, no. We can't. We're not going <laughs> to just edit no. that out. Um. Uh. <laughs> My experience working for Ben Wattenberg, mm-hmm. you, you now have a fuller picture of what that was like for me and yes. mm-hmm. why I still have night terrors. Um, <laughs> and um, um, like when people years from years hence are like, what was it like to work for Jonah Goldberg? Um, what are the horror stories that you will either lie about or, <laughs> uh, or truthfully recount? Uh... <laughs> Oh, well, once man. again, Careful I feel like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I feel like, I feel like this is a trap. Um, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, I, so once again, some of this was made slightly more difficult by the fact that I was just sort of sitting at my kitchen table for yeah. a year and six months. But um, um, I don't know. I think I would say, you know, the, the meme about about Jonah being very tired. Mm-hmm. Is is often because Jonah is actually doing stuff. I mean, I mean, I mean, this is not like. I mean, and once again, I think this is one of these basic these basic truths that I've learned over the course of this job, which is, is just the sort of low level baseline cruelty of the internet. And it's like it's clear that some of that stuff is in jest, but it's clear that some of it is just sort of like, boohoo, Jonah's tired, and. Um, once again, as, as has been my experience with almost every single um, uh, reading of comments, there's always just something that sticks in your craw. And this is one of these things where I, I would jump to your defense and say, well, it's also because you're, 
you're recording at least four things a week. You're writing at least four things a week. Um, and they're not small things most of the time. It's like you have two <laughs> gigantic newsletters um, that require you to do things off the cuff. So you can't really chart them out ahead of time, stuff like that. You also have a child. Um, you know, and it's all like, the day drinking. I mean, people don't, you, know, you get tired. Yeah. You, you, you ever start drinking at 9 a.m.? And then like, you, you don't, let's like, see you not get tired. No, I mean, I mean, the entire last several years of Rudy Giuliani's life is a testament to how difficult that can be for one, how taxing that is on the mind. Um, yeah, no, I think the Joe, but the Jonas tired meme, I think you should just embrace because I think you should just say, look, I'm really tired because I like do a lot of crap on a regular week. You know what I mean? Yeah, Wait, I, I it's not say, just I, like this Jonas tired thing has only emerged in like the last three weeks, as far as I can tell. I mean, I'm not saying I haven't complained about being tired, but I hadn't really noticed. And I guess right. it's got a life of its own now. But I mean, right? I've gotten. I mean, I so I made the terrible mistake early on in the G file of making jokes because that was like was when I first started around the G file in like '99 or '98, something like that, and um. Like, I learned that the internet makes you fat. And um, <laughs> I uh, I gained a bunch of weight, you know, just because I was working from home all the, all the time oh, back yeah. in the early days of the internet. And, um, um, and I used to make jokes about it because it was new for me and it was, like, funny and whatever. And, and it became a thing and it became a problem because then I would show up at, for speeches and stuff, like some yaff thing and, and, the kid who met me at the airport one time comes up to me and he looks me up and down and then he says with this unbelievably disappointed voice I thought you were going to be enormously fat <laughs> and so like, I was simultaneously just conventionally fat and and a liar disappointment who oversold it you know and wow uh, um, so I stopped making fat jokes because it became a thing that other, it gave permission for other people to make fun of me. And I wasn't, you know, I wasn't morbidly obese or anything like that. Right. And, um, uh, it was just getting a gut from getting old and drinking beer. And uh, um, and uh, um, and it became a thing where a lot of people on the left started making all these fat jokes about it. And like, it right. Was, so I stopped giving them permission right. to do that. It right. Was, it was a, it was right. Unfair. I mean. I had kind of completely forgotten about this, that the G-File was originally just a thing. It was not a thing that originally came out of National Review. That were, that term existed pre-National Review. No, Is that no, correct? No, 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 no. Or it came after NRO. Okay. No, it came before NRO. Right. So that's, right, that's right, right. the chronology. So NR, so the story is I became a contributing editor of National Review for reasons having to do with Bill Clinton's pants and all sorts of other right. things. And uh, so this is 98. And I was working for NR, and um, back then the website was sort of what we call in the industry a placeholder website. Mm -hmm. And it was, you know, and Rich hates me talking about this, but it was very bad. It was very, <laughs> it was, it was what the the computer scientists call not very good, and <laughs> um, and super tacky. And I met, at one point it briefly had all of these like animated bobbing Monica Lewinsky heads on it. Oh. which is like <laughs> two on the nose in some ways and just it was just yeah. not a good idea and so, so to speak um uh and so i was basically writing pieces occasionally for the magazine and and whatnot and then um i started writing a diary sort of covering the impeachment which was we didn't have the word blog back then but it was like short posts 
updated throughout the day. Um, and that came to be known as a blog. And yeah, so, um, wait a minute, did you invent the blog? I did not invent the blog, but us? I am, I am, I am one of the very first political yeah. bloggers and I never right. get the credit for it because, um, so like in the, in the begats of internet stuff, mm -hmm. Mickey Kouse got the idea for Kouse files from the Goldberg file. Andrew oh, Sullivan got the idea for uh, Daily Dish, his his blog, basically from Mickey Kouse. Right. And really? so in the in the great chain, it was like me and Charlie Peters were doing this kind of thing. And Charlie Peters had done it like a notebook for Washington Monthly for years. He just started turning it onto the web. We were among the first political bloggers. And right. I still don't know where to pick up my cash prize. But um, <laughs> so like I'm doing this diary thing and it turned out like I had written stuff I, you know, I'd done freelance stuff for years before all this. Um, my first published thing was in the journal in 92. And um, uh, and it turned out to be popular. And it turned out to be really popular. And um, partly it was a cultural thing. Um, partly it was early internet. So there were a lot, there was much less to choose from on the web. And right. it was, uh, and we called, literally we came up with the name Goldberg File Rich Lowry and I talked for, I don't know, six minutes. And we were like, <laughs> what are we going to call this thing? And um, we were like, I don't know, the Goldberg Note, the <laughs> Jonah Factor. You know, we were like, we were just yeah. like, just throwing stuff out there. And, right. um, and so the original G file, I got paid, I think, 25 bucks a day to do nice. something like that. Wow. And, um, uh, and anyway, so it got popular, and then about six, seven months into it, Rich and Ed Capano, then the publisher, said, "Hey, so we're thinking about turning the website into like a sister publication kind of thing. Would you want to be the editor of it?" And the only reason they thought of me was because I was the only person with a lot of time on my hand who was like regularly writing for the web. Mm -hmm. right. um, and so we did that, and I became the founding editor of NRO, and. Uh, um, but the G file, so the G file was originally basically a blog, a daily right. blog, and then it became, and I, I made the, in retrospect, wise or cursed decision to not constantly write about Bill Clinton and started writing about other things. And so I would do stuff about, you know, I would do online polls, like what was the sweatiest movie ever made or, right. <laughs> um, you know, that kind of thing. And if you ever watched cheers, you know, the answer is cool hand Luke. Yes. Um, and, um, Oh, A Time to Kill, which came out after all that. Uh, the Matthew McConaughey movie about the mm. uh, the trial in the South, which mm. Pod's review in The oh. Standard in 1997 or whatever was just called A Time to Schwitz. Um, <laughs> certainly deserves to, to compete in that realm. Um, and I don't know why we're talking about me again. So, Ryan. Um, yeah. Dispatch versus yep. Heritage Foundation. That's right. Softball. Go. Okay, so many one note on just that sentence. It's the Dispatch and the Institute, the International Republican Institute, and some sector of the State Department. We have cobbled together hmm. one softball team, and we're in the think tank league. And none of us knew each other. Like I think someone randomly reached out to Declan at the dispatch and was like, Hey, do you guys want to join our team? We just need a few more players. And he said, yeah, great. And so we all showed up having never met. And we were just, we just decided to have a softball team and heritage shows up 
And we were told they took this very seriously. Like we were sent a scouting report of, of their softball team. Like this, that's I think when everyone at the dispatch started to get scared. We were like, oh, wow. This is. <laughs> well, and also, there are all those stories about how they get those quote unquote interns from Costa Rica who are yes. like 28 yes. years old. <laughs> <laughs> some, some of these guys, like, so Trip, an intern at the dispatch, is on our team. And uh, he said the weekend before he had met someone that worked at Heritage that was on the team. And he said, yeah, no, we have literally like college baseball players on our team. <laughs> so like, we were we were expecting a massive defeat. We're like, all right, let's just have fun. Uh, people from IRI brought beer. Like we were we were just there to have fun. We scored four runs right out the gate. First inning, we scored four runs and we were like, OK, like maybe maybe we might have a shot. And then Heritage actually came back and but it was mostly tied for most of the game. And somehow in the end, we we won 17 to 14. We shocked the world. It was like the Bad News Bears playing the New York Yankees mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and the Yankees lost. Like somehow, somehow we pulled it out. <laughs> no, this is huge. I mean, it's, this is, it's, it's the world huge. will never be the same again. I know. Yeah. The world and, turned upside down, as they say in Hamilton. Um, and we got to figure out a way to make Heritage feel really bad about this. I think they were just shocked. Honestly, yeah. like we should, you do like the the high five line after the game and say good game and all that stuff. And their faces were just like, is this really happening? <laughs> like, is, this, <laughs> is this did we actually just lose to to who, to three random like organizations in D.C.? So, yeah, it's it's very exciting. Uh, and we pulled our weight. Oh, yeah. Dispatch, oh, yeah. OK, definitely. I mean, yeah. It's one it thing to say, oh, is there this softball chimera with the head of a dispatch and the body of a <laughs> State Department <laughs> cookie pusher, right. you know, cabal. But like, yeah, you know, we have, we have to do our no. part. OK, oh, absolutely. Right. That's, that's yeah. fantastic. You, it was really fun. You saved um, your job for another week. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> We're talking softball from Maine to San Diego. Talking softball, Manningly and Conseco. All right. Um. As the guy said when the radioactive bear crapped on the inner city bus, well, that happened. Um, and uh, um, so there you have it. Uh, I, again, I want to thank uh, Nick for um, all his hard work in, in enduring the, the, the strange and peculiar circumstances of trying to be my RA at a think tank that was closed during a pandemic while we were trying to start up a media company um, that no one could go to because of a pandemic um, and uh, and try to run a podcast uh, that we couldn't do in a studio because of a pandemic and also because of my effulgent microbiome. And, um, uh, and we wish him nothing but luck. He's still considered part of the, the broader dispatch family and like uh, part of the great chain of being of, of, of RAs going stretching back to the before times of Ben Wattenberg and um, the great family tree of, of AI research assistants. And, um, and thank you all for listening. If you can become a um, dispatch subscriber, it would mean the world to us and to me. And, um, and that's about it. I'll see you next time. No, you won't. This is a podcast.
worst episode ever. Rest assured that I was on the internet within minutes, registering my disgust throughout the world. Hey, I know it wasn't great, but what right do you have to complain? As a loyal viewer, I feel they owe me. What? They're giving you thousands of hours of entertainment for free. What could they possibly owe you? I mean, if anything, you owe them. Worst episode ever. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.